Well, welcome back to another episode of Kimmel and Cox, your source for all things entertainment. I'm Keith Cox. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Dylan Kimmel. Well, hello, everyone. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited for the topic of today's episode. It's a movie that was such a huge part of my childhood growing up. It is number two on my list of my all-time favorite movie franchises. And if you couldn't tell already by my uh, attire today, that movie is, of course, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yes. Yes. We are, we are finally getting into this. Mm. And uh, it, this actually, this, uh, this jacket here, uh, if, if you don't recognize it, uh, this is an exact replica of the denim jacket worn by Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly throughout most of the movie. And I notice you don't have the life preserver, as it was called. I, yes, I do not. <laughs> I, I, I have it, but I chose yeah. not to wear it. Uh, I, I didn't go full Marty today mm. uh, because I realized uh, that, uh, that I have to go to work after we record this episode. Yeah. So, I, you know, Marty wears that, that outfit has a lot of layers to it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I really don't want to have to uh, take all that stuff off and change clothes and everything and go to work. So mm-hmm. I just threw the jacket on, and and so this is my this is my homage to. And, and I'm wearing. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, what are you? Do? You're Ghostbusters. I mean, uh, it's the wrong movie, dude. Like you knew we were going to be talking about Back to the Future today. Yeah, my uh, my Emmett attire was in the wash. Oh, so yeah. That's all right. It happens, but uh, you know, well, we're that's that's another movie that we're going to get to uh, later on uh, for yeah. sure. So, but uh, but anyway, getting into uh, Back to the Future, it was released July third, nineteen eighty five. Uh, great year, uh, great year for for movies. Really, just I mean, the eighties was just such a great decade. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just for movies, TV, everything. There was really no other decade like it. So, I mean, it was, you know, when you talk about having the right recipe, I, I don't think you could have made this movie in, say, the 70s or the 90s. Or, you can't make or, it now either. Yeah, you really a, can't. Like, mm. it wouldn't, it just wouldn't have the same just, appeal. Just imagine if they were to, now, I do remember that Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, or Rob, Robert Zemeckis, I mean, both of them are Bob's. Right, but um, I believe that they stated that they, as long as they live, there will never be one another sequel to uh, a reboot. A reboot, yeah. And we're grateful for that, actually, uh, because it's, I because I think it's um, if it ain't broke, don't fix yeah, it. Yeah, I think it is. You know, there were three movies, and I I think it is. I agree with them. I think it's actually perfect as a trilogy, but. Uh, but the movie uh, was, of course, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale and mm-hmm. directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, starring Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly, Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown, uh, Leah Thompson as uh, Lorraine Baines uh, McFly, uh, Crispin Glover as George McFly, and Tom Wilson as Biff Tannen. Such a, a stellar cast in this movie, it just mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. I mean, I, I just now I, I can't. I know there were a lot of other actors who were either coming up or were 
already becoming popular at that time who auditioned for these these different roles and i can't see i've seen the audition tapes from some of them and i just i cannot see anybody but the cast that they ended up with it's always intriguing to see the what ifs yeah it is interesting just to see other other people's uh you know takes on the characters i know uh i know for marty some of the actors who auditioned for that role were um uh, C. Thomas Howell, who mm-hmm. was you know pretty big at that at that time in the eighties, he was he was becoming big. Um, ben Stiller, uh, who his career really hadn't even taken off at that point, he was still very it was very very you know early on. Mm-hmm. Um, he was know, just viewed as Jerry Stiller's uh, son, son at that point. Yeah, and uh, his his reading of it was very just like straightforward, total total straight man, not. Mm. You know, not very broad in his in comedy or anything like that. And uh, who was another one? John Cryer, uh, which Cryer. which his actually wasn't bad. I really? mean, you know, he, of course, you know, he was Ducky, you know, in The mm. Breakfast Club. You know, he was another, you know, another actor who was really, uh, you know, coming up in the eighties. And uh, you know, he didn't do a bad take on it. Like mm. I, I, I kind of could have pictured him a little bit you know the whole like just you know the the innocence and everything it was a close but not quite the cigar moment yeah, yeah. and um and you know I, I know there were lots of other people that were considered for the other roles uh there were several people that uh that read for biff uh including uh, billy zane who did end up getting a role in the movie because yeah. he played yeah. one of biff's goons that you know travel around with him yeah um but and I can't remember, you know, some of the other actors that that read for him. I know that uh, John Lithgow was originally considered for the role of Doc Brown. Hmm. Uh, certainly, John Lithgow is a talented actor. Yeah. I can't I can't see him in this role. I think Christopher Lloyd just absolutely nailed it. He's so perfect at playing those mm-hmm. eccentric or oddball types of characters. I mean, John Lithgow is a, an ex- exceptional Shakespearean type of actor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't see it. it. It needs that zany quirk. Yeah. Like even even when John Lithgow does a little zany character, like he did in Third uh, Third Rock from the Sun, mm-hmm. it's still it's, it's still, still very grounded. Yeah, it's yeah. still grounded. But uh, just to to get into the history of the movie a little bit, it's quite uh, an interesting. It really story, is. Yeah. I mean, there there's uh, and and some of you may already be familiar with this because it's it's you know common knowledge now but it's well documented yes. now yeah uh but but for those who don't uh you know dylan and i obviously know a lot about the history of of this movie and and that's one of the reasons i was so excited to to get into this because now i can finally put all of this uh this wealth of knowledge about these <laughs> movies to good use um yeah. but but yeah quite a history with this movie uh with production wise you know, the script was originally written, I think, as early as 1980. It mm, went mm. pretty far back. You know, Bob Gale had this idea uh, yeah. long before the movie came about. Like, it came about when he was looking through, what was it? He, he was looking through old uh, photos from, like, his parents or something. Yeah, right? I think he looked. Uh, he was looking through his, yeah, like their, his parents' high school yearbook, and he saw pictures of his mom and dad, and, and, and they went to high school in the, in the 1950s. And he just had this idea, like, what would it be like, like what? Because he found out that like his dad was like class president and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, and like, like he was, I guess, really popular in high school. And he's thinking, 
this is not the man I know now. Like, this is not my dad, you know. And, yeah. and he thought, what would what would it have been like to know my parents back then or to hang out with them? Would I have liked them? Would mm-hmm. I have hung out with them as a teenager? That is an interesting yeah. question. I wonder that for, for us in particular. I mean, do you feel like you would have been best friends with your dad if you— Well, I, I can really identify in particular with— uh, with Bob Gale on that, because my parents went to high school in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they graduated uh, in 56, so almost the same, same timeline as this, uh, as this movie. You know, Marty's parents were, teen, were uh, seniors in 1955, so it's like, you know, right there in that same uh, time frame. And, uh, and I can remember going through my parents' yearbooks and seeing what they looked like back then. You know, mom had you know, long hair, you know, long, dark hair. Ever since I've been alive, she's always had short hair. She's always had, you know, short cropped, you know, hair, you know, kind of done up in a, you mm. know, like a little bouffant or whatever. And and my dad had, you know, tons of hair, like thick hair, uh, like he had a, had like a big flat top. And uh, he's, he's pretty much always worn glasses, uh, or you should say he, he did wear glasses. He, uh, my dad's, uh, sadly, he, uh, passed away you know a couple of years ago but uh he his you know glasses we kind of reminded me a little bit of like buddy holly like the, it was like that mm, style okay. of glass sort of like the horn rim glasses yeah uh but i always wondered that too about my parents like what were they like back then and and you know what were they like you know were they popular you know were they like some of the you know the cool kids or you know whatever and so yeah. it is it's an interesting concept and and so I connected with that a lot uh, in this movie because I'm like, this is probably what it was, you know, some of what it was like for my parents when they were going to high school. They, you know, they probably, uh, you know, even when they watched the movie, they probably thought, oh, yeah, I, you know, I remember things like that. Uh, or they could say, no, it wasn't really it wasn't really this way or but mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a fun concept to think about. And so that was the genesis of of the of the story idea for back to the future and you know he kept working on the script and uh shop, shopping around to a lot yeah. of different studios i never remember that when they were talking about the time machine it wasn't always a delorean no no they uh they originally had they were uh thinking about a refrigerator of all <laughs> refrigerator, things refrigerator that yeah. was the in the original script in the first draft it was going to be a refrigerator, but then they were concerned that uh, that if kids saw the movie, they would start shutting themselves up in refrigerators and maybe getting trapped in there and freezing to death or something. And mm. so they're like, "Well, we can't do that." Um, but you know, I remember when they were. He said when they were shopping the script around to different studios, they had a hard time selling it because uh, Disney thought it was too racy because of the you know the the whole thing with. Marty and and his his mom his teen the teenage version of his mom mm-hmm. falling kind of falling in love with him and so they thought it was a little bit too too risque uh, Fox didn't think it was raunchy enough <laughs> they 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 wanted more of a uh, like Porky's or Fast Times at Ridgemont High style comedy like an R rated comedy with mm-hmm. like sex and and you know and things like that. Uh, and so if they finally settled on Universal, which came about because of Steven Spielberg's uh, involvement 
with Universal, and he he yeah. produced the movie. Yes. Uh, so his his belief in the movie, he he thought that it could be really great. And, and and they actually he actually uh, met uh, Bob Gale and Rob Zemeckis when uh, making 1941, I believe it was. Yes, yes. They they uh, they wrote the script mm-hmm. for that one. And uh, and then and then before that they did Romancing the Stone. Yeah, that was the thing that that convinced the studio to to give Bob Zemeckis the money to make Back to the Future because. He hadn't really had a great track record up to that point uh, of movies. I mean, mm-hmm. he made, uh, in 1980, uh, he made uh, that movie Used Cars with Kurt Russell, yeah. uh, which I think is not a bad movie. I, I think it's, you know, it's pretty funny. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely very watchable, but I guess it wasn't, it didn't perform very well at the box office. Uh, and he had, there was a couple other movies in there that just kind of kind of tanked, and then Romancing the Stone was probably his first successful yeah, one, wasn't it? Yeah, that that was like okay. Well, now we've got we've got a a hit here, and so you know this director is actually very capable of, of pulling something like this off. And I think it was Steven Spielberg's encouragement too that convinced us. He was like, well, if, if Steven Spielberg is on board, if he wants to produce this thing, then it's going to be huge. And so they're like, okay, we're going to give you the money to do this, but. We want it. We want it released by Fourth of July weekend, nineteen eighty-five, and it was already. They had less than a year at this point. They had less than a year to prep everything, pre-production and filming and post and all that stuff to try to get it released by that following summer. In, so, in hindsight, it's probably a good thing that we're in the indie market right now because we can't. We that that type of. Uh, Scheduling sounds very stressful. That type of pressure does not exist for us. We can work on our own timetable, and I mean, if we have to, you know, if we have to stretch a film out over three months, just filming on evenings and weekends, we mm-hmm. can do that. We have the freedom to do that. So I'm kind of glad that we don't have that that kind of uh, pressure on us. But uh, so so that's kind of how the movie got off the ground, and then even more interesting history surrounded the production. Because uh, there was one major casting change, uh, and and this yeah. is and this is all you know. You, know, you can Google all this. And you can even a, see some clips yeah, on it. You can it. even yeah. see some some footage. But so Michael J. Fox actually was not the actor who was originally cast in the role of Marty McFly. I think they, he was their first choice. Yes, he but, was their first choice. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know. As many of you probably are aware, Michael J. Fox at the time was starring in a sitcom called Family Ties, uh, which I grew up watching. You know, I was familiar with him, you know, from that show. And uh, he, he was always their first choice. He was always the director and writer's first choice. But, you know, the producers on Family Ties did not want to give him the time that he needed to film a, a major motion picture Typically, when you know we're doing a TV series, if you're going to do a movie, they usually film that during the summer hiatus. You know, mm-hmm. when they're not filming the show. Well, Back to the Future couldn't do that because they had to start shooting in the fall. It was like I think uh, October of 1984 is when they started shooting, and that was right in the middle of you know they were already like Family Ties was already you know in the middle of uh, of shooting and everything by that point. So they didn't want to let him go. 
they ended up casting Eric Stoltz, of all people, mm-hmm. as Marty. Now, now Eric Stoltz, you know, not, not a bad actor, uh, certainly was not on the level that Michael J. Fox was. He in has terms more of a background in drama, doesn't he? Yeah, he's definitely more of a dramatic, uh, serious, uh, straight man, you know, kind of actor. And I certainly could not have pictured him in the role. Um, there, there, then there is some footage out there. You can find it. Uh, you know, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube and, and other places. Uh, the clips don't have audio. We haven't gotten any audio clips mm-hmm. yet. But you can certainly see just in his performance alone. His expressions. Yeah, and, his expressions. Like, like the one image I'm thinking of is when, is when uh, he's looking over at his dad uh, in right. the cafe. Same, same camera shot. They used same that camera same shot. camera shot yeah. in the final film. But the way he did it, it was just like, I don't it was, know. It was I, too uh, stoic. It was right. too... And I, and I think... You know, when they were, it became apparent to them during filming that it just wasn't working with him. The, he, the, the, the other actors were not gelling with him. They didn't mm-hmm. have a chemistry. He was playing it completely differently. He had all of these uh, different ideas about how he should play the character. He was playing it more from a drama perspective when it was more comical. Uh, you can ham it up in a comedy. Yeah, you you can certainly overact in a comedy. Exactly, you can be as crazy as, as you want to be, and it and, and it worked, you know, for this movie. Um, so so when they they were already like six weeks in filming, I mean, it pro- over half the movie was already finished, uh, and they realized we like the studio and everybody realized we have got to do something. We've got to mm-hmm. recast this part, or the movie is going to be terrible. Thinking about that, they finished almost half of the movie with him. Yeah, yeah, over, probably a little over half. Yeah, and that is just crazy to think because uh, now we live in an age where the release, the you know, director's cut of this movie, you know, or that movie that you know, some of them not been finished. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone is is hollering and you know, clamoring for a Eric Stoltz release of back of the future i know i i I would like to see the footage if they ever will release that uh in its entirety put something together for like Mm -hmm. a special edition uh collection it would be nice to see it with audio and everything just to see all the all the footage that they did shoot with him you know just for shits and giggles just to see what what it was like i'm sure it was again i'm sure it was disappointing compared to what we've got but it would just be interesting to see um so when they realized that he wasn't working out, they were desperate. They're like, we've got to get Mike Fox. And, and so they went back to the producer on Family Ties, basically on their hands and knees and begging, like, you've got to let us have Michael because nobody else can, can pull this off like he can. And so and, and I, think, I don't think that, uh, that he actually, that, that Michael saw the script the first time around, I don't think they even got, got that far. I don't think they even allowed him to read the script. This time they did, and he was like, you know, I love this. You know, like, I, I, I want to do this. And so the deal they made was, okay, you can have him, but you can only film with him on evenings and weekends when we're not shooting Family Ties. The level of compassion that Michael J. Fox had for just this one role Oh yeah, I mean, he just he recognized, you know, I think he saw the potential in it. He knew how great this could be because 
you know, he had done uh, he had done some movies uh, prior to that, mm-hmm. but just nothing on the level that Back to the Future ended up being. And man, I mean, you talk about a hectic schedule. I mean, he was literally like he would they would wrap up filming on Family Ties. He would get in the car. They had um, they they had like a it was like a station wagon mm-hmm. with uh, pillows in the back. And they like laid the seats down. He would literally hop in a car, go to sleep on the way from the Family Ties set to the Back to the Future set, and then they would start uh, start filming. They did a lot of the they did a lot of the night scenes mm-hmm. uh, like during the week, and then for the uh, scenes that required uh, you know daylight, they would you know film those on the weekends. And so he was basically not getting any sleep. Uh, you know, I remember talking to someone about that. Um, I forget who it was. Uh, but saying how, you know, because uh, I was on set one day and I only had one hour of sleep. And someone uh, someone said, uh, well, the reason why you don't seem tired while doing that is because you're doing something you actually love. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be... Adrenaline takes that. over. Yeah. yeah. And, and Michael himself even says to this day that he really doesn't have a lot of recollection of the filming of the first movie because he was almost like a zombie like he was he said he didn't realize that his performances were coming across as good as they were on camera because he felt exhausted but he was just you know he just did it you know he got in there and did it and he said but a lot of it was kind of a blur because it was it was just crazy uh, but that's dedication right there, mm-hmm. and and the fact that the movie still turned out as wonderful as it did, knowing that you know that he was going through that, uh, it's you know it's it's pretty unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I mean crazy crazy start uh, to the filming of, of the movie because he didn't even they started shooting in October of '84, and he didn't come on until January of '85, and I want to say. I want to say they wrapped up filming, um, I want to say it was around April of 85, and then the movie was released in July. So they only had a few months left to edit and post and That is very that busy for even the special effects artists and everything. I'm like, my goodness, you, you only have so many. Yet they still did a pretty phenomenal job with the special effects, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, considering the, the amount of time that, that they I had believe to work with there. I believe the special effects still hold up today. Like honestly, all in 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 the first one, the second one, third one, all of them. Like the third, the third, the first one there, the special effects. I cannot think of a scene where it was like, oh wait, they messed up right there. This could look better today. Because no. one, most of them were practical effects too, mm-hmm. weren't they? It was all. It was either practical effects or uh, optical effects because you didn't have CGI in those days, so. You know, for visual effects like lightning and uh, things like that, they had to do it uh, optically where they used, like, you know, they maybe used some animation or, or uh, you know, put put animation, you know, like in behind a plate or something like that and insert it into the uh, into the film. And so it's, it was, I think, really seamless how they, you know, pulled all that off. Um, but so so what was could, do you remember the first time that you saw the movie what was your I do. experience I do um so at the time my my dad was uh, married to this one woman in Versailles and um I remember like maybe it was like one morning before going to school or maybe it was after um 
I just found a couple of different VHS tapes. There was like a, the Sandlot, and then the, there was this one that caught my eye called Back to the Future. And I played that, and I watched it, and I loved it, right? Uh, and that was my first experience with it because it just was so... I was so in awe with that, with that movie. It was... It was hilarious. It was intriguing. The the just the idea of it, and um, I remember I was I was very young then. I was probably like ten years old. Yeah, and uh, I just know that that is something that I would love to do too. Is like just imagining how you would be able to like travel in time and everything like. That. And I just remember it being such an exciting experience. I knew nothing of the sequels or anything like that. It would be several years afterwards till I saw those. Hmm. But that first one is, to me, the epitome of a good movie. Yeah, really. Great is. movie. Oh, yeah. It's just fantastic. It just really, uh, just really grabs you, you know, from, from the beginning. Um, for me... The first time I saw it, I remember vividly, it was uh, Thanksgiving of 1990. So I was like nine years old. Uh, I remember it was Thanksgiving because we were at uh, my cousin Kimberly's house, and she always would uh, get get the whole family together uh, for, for Thanksgiving. used to be my grandmother that would have everybody over, but then she got to a point where it was just harder for her to to you know cook you know all that food and and to have everybody in her house and so then you know my cousin Kimberly took over and and you know how it is around holiday meals and everything like when you've got kids running around kids get bored very easily they get restless and you're like you know Mm -hmm. it's it's like oh these family gatherings it's like yeah you kind (laughs) of get you know you're like oh I got to do this do this again and like after dinner and everything you're just like antsy and you're looking for something to do and so uh, Kimberly's husband, Michael, was like, okay, I've got an idea. And so he uh, took me upstairs to one of the spare bedrooms. They had a, you know, had a TV in there and mm-hmm. a VCR. And he's like, you know, we're going uh, to pop in a movie because cause they knew that I loved, loved movies. And it's like, well, this will keep, keep Keith entertained for a couple it, it hours. Was your, it was your basically the, the, the keep you busy Yeah, thing. it was like a babysitter. You know? yeah. It's like, let's keep him busy for a couple hours you know, so he's not, we'll get him out of our hair or whatever and so he's not complaining about wanting to go home. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and so the, so the movie that he popped in the VCR was Back to the Future. And at at that time, I don't think I was. Now, I guess I was aware of the Back to the Future movies, uh, but had never seen them because at that time I was still I was still in full like Ghostbusters mode. That was that was my mm-hmm. like go to you know movie and everything that I was crazy about at that time. And so I guess I just had no interest you know in seeing it. But, uh, but, you know, from, from the very beginning, you know, I, I was, I was interested. And then when they got to the scene at Twin Pines Mall where, uh, Doc reveals the DeLorean time machine to Marty, like the moment that the car started backing out of the trailer, like that was the point where I was like, 
like glued to the movie, you mm-hmm. know, for for the rest it's of like the time. this big because, giant spaceship coming out. Well, it was just so cool. Yeah, it was just yeah. so cool. It was like uh, it was it it was so, so it was like homemade looking, you know, like because obviously Doc Brown built this thing, you know, in his garage, but it was also sleek and sporty looking, and I loved cars. I mean, you, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the movies that that I enjoy so much have a car that is either a central part of the story mm. or or there is uh, or it's at least highly like customized and and you know it's like very memorable the cars almost become a character in the movie in oh, themselves yeah. like i i can think of several different cars that you particularly really love and like the dukes of hazard one oh, yeah uh, with the General ghostbusters, Lee and ghostbusters one obviously because i remember that here, here's here's a fun fact a little off topic but uh this is how particular Keith is. When we went to the Comic Con, they had the Ecto One there, but something was off about it, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty far off. It was uh, it was a Cadillac, mm-hmm. but it was the wrong year and mm-hmm. model of of Cadillac. Uh, and I think it was, I think they used a, a hearse too, which the the, the actual Ecto One was a converted ambulance, which there's a big difference between ambulance and hearse. You know, ambulance has windows going all the way around. A hearse has like a, there's like a, you know, panel on the back, like where there's no, where there's no side windows on that back mm-hmm. part. Yeah, but it was like a, if I had to guess, it was probably like, maybe like a 69, 69, 70 uh, era Cadillac. And the one that was used in Ghostbusters was a 59 uh, with the big, because that was the only year that had the, had the big uh, fins, tail fins. I mean, I noticed something was off, but I didn't. I didn't know the detail because I don't know cars. I don't yeah. know cars all that well. But it was still a nice. It was still a nice. Uh, I, I would call it. I would call that a tribute car more than a replica. Because mm-hmm. to me, replica means you are trying to accurately replicate the vehicle. But mm-hmm. it had, you know, it had the roof rack. It had, you know, the gear on it and everything. And so, you know, it was pretty well done. Just it was just now. I'd say that if they had a DeLorean. There, I mean, there's no way someone's going to get a replica uh, Back to the Future car DeLorean looking wrong. Um, it's it's kind of hard cause, to cause do. It's, yeah, because there's only one. Uh, I mean, the DeLoreans were only produced from 81 to 83, and they all look the same. Like, there wasn't really any variation in, in the uh, style, like the body or anything like that. So... So you could you could do a replica with an eighty three just as easily as you could an, an eighty one. I think the movie used all eighty ones because there were yeah. I think there were more DeLoreans manufactured that in that first year mm-hmm. than than any other year. But yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to mess that up. It's a beautiful car, but kind of problematic too. But, yeah. yeah, they weren't the best um, performance wise. They didn't have a lot of horsepower. I think I think top speed was like eighty five miles an hour. Uh, which is really funny because it goes for this to eighty eight. You know what? <laughs> because uh, because the yeah in the in the plot of the movie that's the thing that it's like the car hits eighty eight miles per hour and that's and that's when uh, when it you know travels through time and so yeah, the, car, so the car wasn't even capable of doing eighty eight miles an hour. They changed the speedometer uh, for the movie to go up to ninety. Okay. So that's the only thing they changed. But in the story, I'm going to guess that uh, Doc Brown had, you know, fin- you know, done some stuff to the DeLorean there. Yeah, probably souped it up a little bit. Yeah. 
and 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 Marty even makes a reference uh, when he's escaping from the Libyans. Uh, he's he's uh, being chased by the Libyans and the DeLorean and. And he's like, you know, let's see if these bastards can do 90, you know, and then he shifts and, mm-hmm. and you know, kicks into another gear. But, yeah, it was just funny now. Of course, you know, at, at the time, you know, I, I didn't realize that. But then being a car buff, you know, later on doing the research, I'm like, that car wouldn't even do 90 miles an hour. Uh, but it was just such a cool looking, you know, all the, all of the uh, gadgets and everything that Doc Brown fitted on, on there. Uh, it, it's just another one of those iconic movie vehicles that will go down to history will always uh, be remembered but that's that was really the thing that totally you know i was already i was already hooked but that like really sucked me in from you know from that point on and and uh, and then of course you know i had to after that i had to see uh, the other movies uh, but yeah that was that was my first experience with uh, with back to the future and uh, just so many things that you know that you know i love uh, about the movie you know, it's uh, besides the just the the perfect casting, uh, just the the way that it was filmed, the cinematography, uh, you know, the action, uh, the stunts, uh, the comedy. You know, the, there was such great comic timing, you know, between the actors and everything. They all just gelled so well with each other and had that chemistry. And there's very few movies that come along that that have that where you really you know you felt like outside of production these people were were like family yeah and and the interesting thing is is that yeah they all were treated like family and and the the best part is is that it's one of those few movies where it's not just one memorable character it's multiple absolutely um because every character has a funny scene one way or the other like um like Biff has many, like just any other character besides uh, Doc Brown and and Marty, um, like even uh, uh, even the mother. Oh, Lorraine. Lorraine. Yeah, like yeah, Leah Thompson um, uh, had that girl next door quality, that mm-hmm. sweet, very sweet quality to her, and and I think that's one of the reasons why they cast her. Is and Crispin Glover playing a weirdo. Oh gosh! So yeah, that's, he's, he's that's really not, good at that. That's so. yeah, that's not a stretch uh, yeah. for him at all. Because I seem to remember them having like uh, like difficulties with Crispin as well. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of uh, history with that too. Uh, you know, Crispin, you know, has become notorious uh, in Hollywood for being very eccentric and he really invests himself in the roles that he plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just really puts himself into it and he's got some, he had some yeah. weird ideas about, he wouldn't be on cue sometimes. Yeah. He had some, yeah. he had some weird ideas about the way he should uh, portray uh, mm-hmm. George McFly uh, because, you know, it, in the beginning of the movie, you know, he's, a, he's a typical nerd, you know, very you know, nerdy character, hair slicked back, uh, thick uh, black frame glasses. Uh, you know, very like so- very soft spoken and meek in the way that you know that he talks and his mannerisms and everything. And you know, he's, he almost talks in like a whisper. You know, it's like uh, it's like well, now, 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 yeah, son. It's, it's like a it's a, a whisper, and, and it's. Not only that, but he's kind of like talking through his nose, mm-hmm. you know, his very nasally voice. And then, and then he has that, 
and then he has that unforgettable laugh, you know, when something is like really hilarious, and he's like. <laughs> He has some like the weird like oh man um, it's not until the very end that he's like much more presentable but uh, I just there's so many good lines with that like one he's like I know son I know but I'm just afraid I'm not very good at confrontations <laughs> yeah it just uh, it, it's it's like Marty is trying so hard to get his dad to have a backbone mm-hmm. and just because because he, because yeah. He is he is boss in the beginning of the movie. George's boss is is Biff Tannen, who was his bully throughout high school, and he's still bullying him as an adult. Yeah. The interesting thing also is that majority of the cast are all around the same age, with the exception of Christopher Lloyd. Um, all of them are around the same age, and anyone that's supposed to be older than uh, uh, Michael J. Fox's character is just got aged makeup on right right um but that that whole interaction was like again like tom wilson was perfect uh, as as biff mm-hmm. uh that will he will forever be remembered uh for that role because he just played it so perfectly and you know he's like tip, typical bully who thinks he knows everything and you know thinks he's mr cool or whatever but but he's really an idiot i mean he's he's <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, all of his he has all of these mixed up sayings, uh, mixed like up phrases, you know, and everything. Like, uh, it's like, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's supposed to be make like a tree and leave, uh, or uh, uh, that. That's about as funny as a as a screen door on a on a submarine, or no, no, it's no, it's battleship. He was like, he's like, that's about screen. as funny as a screen door on a battleship. It's and then Marty <laughs> Marty corrects him like it's supposed to be screen door on a submarine you dork uh but yeah it's, it's things like that he's he <laughs> he's so he's just so clueless and uh you know and, and it's it's so cool to see the way the dynamic uh changes you know from the beginning of the movie to the end because just to kind of break down the plot uh for those who haven't seen the movie and if you haven't you know why in the world not uh because it's just uh, you know when i when i when yeah. people when i talk to people and they say i say they've never seen back to the future i just have that reaction like what are you serious but Why? but people have but I, people have done the same thing yeah. with me with you know they've mentioned movies like yeah. uh for you, the long for the longest time it was the godfather i hadn't mm-hmm. seen the godfather for like gosh it was probably just just I've, several I've years that, ago yeah. when i finally saw it same thing with me i didn't see the godfather until like maybe 2 years later uh 2 years uh ago yeah it was probably and, five, uh, maybe five or six years ago for me, I think. And but, the same reaction for me was like, "You haven't seen that?" Yeah. And, and here, here's a, here's a few other movies I have not seen still. Uh, I've not seen uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, Doctor Strangelove. I actually haven't seen that. Citizen Kane. I've not seen that. Nope, haven't seen that either. Uh, there's the whole list there that i can yeah. say but yeah but yeah it's but it's it's just such a great movie and you know i mean i can't can't recommend it uh enough but I, f- I feel like it is one of the most important movies honestly it's uh it's a treasure 
Oh yeah, it, it's uh, it, it should definitely be preserved uh, for all time. I, I think it is in the Library of Congress as one of those movies of historical significance. I think so. Um, I think it is. But the, but the basic plot of the movie uh, is you know you have Marty McFly you know played by Michael J. Fox who's uh, seventeen years old. Uh, his his good friend uh, Doc Brown is a scientist and inventor who invents a time machine out of a DeLorean and and then uh you know he he invites Marty out to he wants Marty to be a part of the first time travel experience with the time machine and uh and oddly enough he uh he Doc uses his dog as kind of a guinea pig he puts his dog in the car you know for this first uh, experiment and you know sends him sends him like one minute into the future and obviously it you know it works, and then he explains to Marty how the time machine works, and talks about the the time circuits and the flux capacitor. The flux capacitor is actually the key to time travel, and Doc invented this uh, device when uh, actually back in the fifties. He he slipped in his head. Uh, he was hanging uh, he was hanging a clock above the toilet. He slipped and hit his head on the toilet. And then he had this vision of the flux capacitor. I want to know now. This is kind of funny, and it's kind of like one of those funny, like why did he why did he do that? Who who puts a clock above their toilet? Right, really. Because <laughs> if you're on the toilet, you can't see it. So you know, yeah. I don't know. But it's uh, yeah, it's it was just kind of funny, you know, how all that came about and uh, and. But it's one of those jokes where they don't actually lean in on it. It's it's no. for the audience to be like, wait a minute. They just leave it. What? They just leave it right where it's at. They just yeah. you know, the audience kind of. And I think and, that's brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's like the audience can make the joke for themselves. Uh, it's and that's where they they don't play down to the audience. They don't treat the audience as dumb. They're like this. Our audience is smart enough to figure out the joke behind mm-hmm. this without us having to to hit them over the head with it. Um, but you know, so he invents the flux capacitor, and then it wouldn't be, of course, until years later when he puts it, you know, in the DeLorean. And and we also learn that uh, a big component of time travel uh, is nuclear energy, because the internal combustion engine on the DeLorean runs on gasoline, but the 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 time circuits, the the uh, flux capacitor, those are fueled by plutonium. Uh, which mm. is not exactly and, easy to come by. Yeah, and he he actually did something pretty illegal mm-hmm. there to he, obtain it. He st- he stole the plutonium from a group of Libyan terrorists, uh, which they end up catching up to him when they realize you know what's what's been gone. He kind of tricked them. You know they they wanted uh, Doc to build them a bomb, and so he basically tricked them and just built this. Uh, built this bomb casing that was just filled with used pinball machine parts. And when they finally figured things out, they come after Doc. They shoot him, actually kill him. Mm-hmm. Marty hops in the DeLorean to escape from the Libyans, takes off, forgetting that uh, Doc, as he's recalling how he invented the flux capacitor, he's showing Marty how the time circuits work, and he and he lands on a date in 1955 which was the day that he invented time travel. But Marty, as he's, you know, as he's speeding away from the Libyans, getting faster and faster, he's not realizing that the time circuits were left on that date. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he hits 88 miles an hour, 
and the DeLorean immediately transports him into 1955, uh, which is, you know, the year that his parents were seniors in high school, and he runs into them, and then chaos starts to ensue because, you know, Doc, uh, he, he finds Doc in the past because he needs he needs Doc's help to get him, you know, back. That's where the name Back to the Future comes from. He needs Doc's help to get him back mm-hmm. to his time, to the future. It's one of those classic parts where he they actually say the title of the movie. He's like, yeah. we'll send you back to, to the, the future. future. And then he just kind of pauses on it and is like, he's thinking about that line like, that's really good, and then, and then Marty and then Marty interrupts him, and, and you know uh, that was another like hilarious moment, you know, because it's because most movies don't like to do that, you know, that, because mm-hmm. it's it's so on the nose to mention the title of the movie in the movie, but it worked for that. It scene. It works because almost everybody is overacting, right? Not almost everyone's overacting, but but, yeah. but it, yeah, for a movie like this, it, you know, it works perfectly, mm. and um, and so he. You know, Doc warns him about the consequences of potentially, uh, you know, messing with, messing with the past, messing with with time, the space time continuum, and like you know, it could be disastrous, mm-hmm. and that potentially, you know, because Marty's <laughs> Marty's mother, a teenage mother, uh, basically falls in love with him, and he's like, "Crap!" Like you know, like yeah, she, it was supposed she's to be supposed uh, to be his, his dad, dad yeah. And uh, and so he's like, I've got to fix this because if she you know falls in love with me and if, she, if they don't get married or whatever, like I don't exist, you know. So literally, Marty could erase himself from existence if he doesn't you know straighten out these events. And and that there is the the big plot there. Yeah, the that's the, the crux the, of the movie right yeah. there is Marty trying to fix, you know, trying to undo, you know, what he's done. And, uh, of course, you know, it, it all works out in the end. Uh, the, the big problem is that the other problem, you know, with the, in the movie is that uh, Marty could end up being stuck in the past forever because Doc explains to him, you know, that, you know, plutonium might be more re- readily available in the future, but in 1955, you can't just run to your corner drugstore and find plutonium. Which is funny because he actually stole it. <laughs> so. Yeah, he stole it in the first place. Uh, and so he says, you know, the, the only way, the only thing that can replicate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity needed uh, to to create that reaction, you know, to send the time is, is uh, a bolt of lightning. Bolt of lightning. Yeah. And, and it must be said, gigawatt, it, it, he mispronounces the word. It's yes. gigawatt. Yes, it is actually yeah. a gigawatt. What the hell is a gigawatt? <laughs> It's it was a one of those oversights that they just like ah, we're just gonna let that let that go. Yeah, that's another moment of them just saying like yeah, just keeping it to the audience to interpret that. Yeah, one point gigawatt, gigawatts. Yeah, gigawatts gigawatts actually sounds funnier to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, certain you know when you think about words that sound I, sound humorous. I imagine a lot of children after hearing that. Said gigawatt instead of gigawatt after. Oh that. yeah, I'm sure I did for a long time before <laughs> before I knew what it actually how it was supposed to be pronounced. But now it makes sense because you think about computers and gigabytes. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, giga is a measure of of um, you know of uh, well, it's a it's kind of like it's kind of like that one word that people keep on uh, having arguments over. Is it GIF or GIF? It's GIF. It's, yeah, GIF. it's GIF. I mean, uh, it's, it's a graphic image f- frame mm-hmm. or 
whatever the last word is, I forget. But yeah. it's graphic image. Yeah. So you know, but but like I said, for the movie, it was it was perfect, and uh, and it just so happens that we learn this in the beginning of the movie that you know that a, a bolt of lightning struck the clock tower in downtown Hill Valley uh, on oh, yeah, a, on a this, very specific um, date mm-hmm. and time. Because and they know the time because because the clock stopped when when the lightning uh, you know hit the clock tower and the clock had never worked since and, and he actually uh, Marty has the pamphlet that he was given when uh, back in right. his the flyer time. yeah save the, you know save, save the, the clock, clock tower, tower. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah it's, he just uh, waves it she just waves it in his face in his while face, he, yeah, he's, and he's basically just blocking and him he, from getting and he the finally kiss. just like she's going on and on and you know and and, he, and he's just like. Okay, okay, just give me the flyer. Give me the damn flyer. You know, that's like kind of what's going through his mind. But uh, so, but so all these devices, you know, set up the big climax for the movie. And basically, he has to time it where, you know, Doc, you know, rigs up this, uh, you know, lightning rod, attaches it to the DeLorean, and, you know, and has this cable running across the street his expressions during that christopher lloyd's expressions when when all this stuff starts going starts going wrong it's so great yeah because he because he has these wonderful like uh these wonderful big eyes where like you know most people can only bug out their eyes like so far but but he it's almost like yeah it's almost like a like a cartoon uh, where it's like you know he it's one thing after another you know he uh, he the the cable you know disconnects you know he has to climb out onto the the clock tower and try to reconnect the and then, cable and doesn't it like disconnect again or somewhere it does yeah. like he he gets it connected on that end like up near the top and you know nearly kills himself in the process because he falls and he's just he's just hanging hanging on you know by the cable. And so, so he finally gets it connected up there. Uh, or, oh, that's what it is. It uh, it won't reach, mm-hmm. and so he keeps yanking on it to to get it into the connector. <laughs> but in the process of doing that, he disconnects the other end. Like he gets it connected, and then he's like, ah, you know. And then and then he looks down and realizes that the the, the end that's on the street has come disconnected. And then he just has this moment where he's like, oh. He just lets out this scream and like, oh my god, because <laughs> because Marty is already like traveling full tilt in the yeah. DeLorean towards the cable, you know, because they they have to time it perfectly where the lightning rod has to strike the cable just at the moment the lightning passes through it, so it will send him back into the future. Like, Obviously, it all works out. The in entire the end, ending, there's timing issues. Like, if he doesn't get uh, his parents to kiss, he's he's a goner. If he doesn't get the DeLorean to start, he's a goner. Right. If he, <laughs> if he doesn't hit that that uh, that cable at exactly the right moment, he's going to be stuck in 1955 for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that's what provides the drama, you know, that that drives the movie. All of these, uh, you know, crazy uh, circumstances. And and his presence in the past does end up changing the future. Uh, so there's several different hints of it too, like just uh, just a little small part of it. Okay, so uh, in the beginning, where they're at the Twin Pines Mall, and uh, and Chris uh, Lloyd's uh, Emmett Brown states about how the the person who owned it, Old Man Peabody, used to own all of this. Yeah, he had this crazy vision of breeding, breeding pine, pine trees. trees. 
and 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 the. When he tried, uh, when Marty time travels, he actually hits one of the pine trees, and then fast forward to the very end of the movie, it's now Lone Pine. Right. There's all these little things that change in the future. So Marty, yeah, he did he did alter time, uh, and and because he he gets his dad uh, George to finally stand up to Biff, yes. who bullies him throughout mm-hmm. high school. You know, he finally, like, you know, he punches Biff and, like, knocks him out. So that changes their dynamic. So when Marty goes back to his time, suddenly his dad is no longer a nerd. His dad is successful, you know, uh, wealthy, happy. Best-selling author? Yes. And, uh, and, and Biff actually works for him. Hmm. There's a little reversal there. Like he's literally like Biff is almost like his assistant or his servant kind of. It's like mm-hmm. you know Biff is is out there waxing his car for him and and all this stuff and like now Biff's, Biff Biff's personality has totally changed. You know he's like he's, he's like there's this moment where George comes out there and he's like uh, he's like don't uh, con me. Yeah, he's like he, he's waxing his car and he's like he's like now you know did you put two coats of wax on that instead of just one and. He kind of gets Biff an attitude. Like, real yeah, Biff is kind of it's like it's like I'm just putting the second coat on right now, and then and then George is like, now Biff, don't con me. And then suddenly, like Biff retreats into his shell, and he's like, he's like, I'm sorry, I I I meant I was uh, you know I was just uh, getting ready to put the second coat on, you know. And he's like apologized to him, so he's like he's become like a little puppy that's been kicked almost. <laughs> uh, so it was just cool to see how all of that changed. It's like he he did change some events but but in some cases it, he actually changed it for you know for the better mm-hmm. um but uh, a few more things definitely that you know i mean there's so so much that we could talk about with this movie i mean we could easily turn this into like a two-hour uh podcast yeah we, we almost yeah <laughs> uh, but uh but a few th- other things that definitely wanted to just mention uh was the music for the movie mm, yes and just how great the music is uh, it most, really gets stuck in your head. Mostly due in part to uh, Huey Lewis and the News, which mm-hmm. provided two songs for the soundtrack. Two of them. Yes, "The Power of Love" and "Back in Time." Uh, the Tell power, me, Doctor. Yeah. And the power of love certainly has become such an iconic mm-hmm. uh, song, and that the music also really pulled me into the movie, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I had heard uh, Huey Lewis, and from then on, I became a huge. Huey Lewis fan. They're yeah. probably one of my favorite bands uh, of all time, and they're like, they are, you know, the it's like the pinnacle of eighties, uh, mm. you know, pop and yeah. the way the way they mixed rock with sort of that uh, big band, uh, you know, sort of bluesy mm. uh, sort of sound with you know with the with the horns, you know, the saxophones and the trumpets and all that stuff. Blend, blending those sounds together yeah. really really worked. And another interesting point is is that he actually has a cameo in the movie Huey. he does yeah. yes uh marty uh is a musician himself or an aspiring musician you know plays guitar and he has uh these tryouts uh for this battle of the bands kind of thing at his school and ironically enough the song that he is playing uh they're not singing but the song that they're playing on mm-hmm. uh, his guitar is the power of love uh you know and uh, you know of course he's really like wailing on the guitar and everything mm-hmm. But, but one of the the uh, teachers who is uh, who is judging the auditions 
you know, is a, it's a cameo by Huey Lewis, and he's dressed like a total nerd. He's wearing like a tweed uh, jacket and glasses, yeah. and almost unrecognizable. And yeah. and he stops him. He, he stops him in the middle of playing. He's like, he's like, he's like, hold it, hold it, fellas. And he's got a big bullhorn. And he's like, uh, you know, he's like, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. You know, mm-hmm. and so that was a great little uh, cameo in the movie. But but yeah, love the music. Not only that, but you know they have some great, uh, you know, like you know fifties uh, songs like Earth Angel and, and, Earth and that they Angel, yeah. Earth Angel. Uh, some great mm-hmm. jokes with it. Johnny Be Good. Uh, oh yes, you know, it's like that. You can't forget about that's an iconic. Uh, it's become scene. a meme now too. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a scene. It's like I guess I guess you guys aren't ready for that. But your yeah. kids are gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah you know, because Marty grew up on all of these like um, you know hair bands and everything, and mm-hmm. you know he's like a rocker, and so he ends up at at uh, George and Lorraine's high school dance, the the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Um, I think the, he actually inspired one of the songs. Yeah, the guitar player yeah. uh, injures himself, and so mm-hmm. Marty has to step in and play guitar. And he then, injures himself because he uh, Marty gets locked in the trunk, right? Yeah, yeah, and and when they're trying to help him out, the guitar player slices his hand open with with mm-hmm. a knife. See, now I have to say, am I right on that? Because there are like certain things that get entangled with the sequel there, and I'm like, wait, was that in that one or was that in this right? One? Yeah, so, they kind of get yeah, yeah mixed up because they go into the other movies, you know, in in the which, sequels, which I think is an exciting thing. Yeah. but we'll get to that. But we will get to that. But yeah, so you know, the great, you know, love that love that scene and and uh, the way he basically. Uh, because Johnny Be Good, the song Johnny Be Good, while it was released in the 50s, it had not come out yet in 1955. Mm-hmm. So nobody had heard it, you know. And so, you know, he's everybody likes it. You know, he's grooving, you know, and, and playing and everything. And uh, the, the lead singer of, uh, of the band that's playing there is Marvin Berry, who is supposed to be, that's the joke, he's supposed to be Chuck Berry's cousin. As you know, Chuck Berry is actually the person who... who wrote and and performed Johnny Be Good originally. And there's this great great moment where uh Marvin gets on the phone, he's backstage, he gets on the phone and he's like uh he's like he's like Chuck, Chuck. He's like it's like this is Marvin, your cousin Marvin Barry. He's like, "You know that new sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this." And he holds the holds the phone out as Marty's like just going to town on Johnny Be Good. And he's even got the same guitar you know that mm-hmm. same red gibson guitar that chuck berry uh used so there's yeah. all these great references and everything in the movie that uh that you know foreshadowing and and you know these nice little jokes in there um and you know fun uh fun fact uh i did actually get to see huey lewis in concert uh twice oh, yeah? yeah uh so much fun you like it was you know it was like the first half of the show was like new material and then the second half of the show was all hits and it's like you know so much fun everybody in the audience was was singing along and you know of course you know i couldn't wait you know for him to do the power love and you know mm. he saved that towards you know kind of more towards the end of the show and naturally uh, yeah and, yeah you know, be the the last thing yeah, just like everyone loves that rocking yeah, yeah, rocking great. out and he didn't i don't think he even knew at the time when when they wrote that he didn't he even joked about that in the show he's like you know when we wrote this song you know uh at that time it was like um you know 30 over 30 years ago he's like i had no idea that we would have to play it uh, every night you know for the rest of our lives you know but 
you know, but I think he, he appreciates that and, and how he contributed to the success of, of Back to the Future as well. Uh, also, uh, got to meet Tom Wilson, hmm. uh, who played Biff. Uh, he was doing a show. He was doing at uh, comedy off-Broadway. He was doing stand-up comedy. This has been probably uh, maybe 14, 14, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. And a uh, super nice guy, like as far removed from the character of Biff as you could possibly be. Uh, he's a clean comic, you know. He doesn't, you know, he does. He's not vulgar, uh, you know. It, but but he's funny, you know. He's really funny, you know. He did this bit when he first came out. He was because he plays guitar, and so he's playing his guitar. And every time he would he would like he would he would come up to the microphone and 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 open his mouth like he was about to start singing. And then he would like back away, <laughs> like he kept teasing the audience, and he did that like three or four times, and then all of a sudden he starts like making this uh, like this little like this choking motion, and from like out of nowhere, I don't know where in the world he was hiding this thing, but he brings a golf ball up out of his throat and spits it out into the front row, and so it was like that was the gag it was like he like he had the golf ball you know, in his throat the whole time. And that's why he couldn't sing because he was, the, the golf ball was stuck in his throat. <laughs> oh, and, that's uh, great. But super nice guy was really great, uh, really great to meet. And, uh, you know, he actually, he actually gave me a hug. You know, the, the uh, person that went with me to see the show, you know, asked him, he's like, he's like, he's like, don't you think, uh, don't you think he looks a little bit like Michael J. Fox, you know, talking about me. And, and uh, he kind of like, kind of looked me up and down. He's like, He's like, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit, you know, everywhere except the wallet. You know, he's <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it's pretty good resemblance there, except the wallet, meaning that, you know, Michael right. J. Fox is is rich, <laughs> is rich and, yeah. you know, uh, but yeah, that so that was a really fun uh, experience, but, um, but yeah, it, you know, it just Back to the Future for me is just one of the the best uh, movies of all time. It, it has been argued by many. That it's a that it's a perfect film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it's perfect. I mean, no movie is is perfect. Yeah, there, there's gonna be goofs. There's gonna be yeah. hiccups somewhere along the lines. But for near perfect, maybe I was gonna say for for me, uh, it is a, a damn near perfect mm-hmm. movie. So I, in, in that sense, I agree with that. And yeah, because I'll, I'll often think about a, a movie like that and think, hmm, now. What could you do to improve upon it? You cannot improve. You this. really can't. You really can't. I think they just, you know, the 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 crew, the cast, you know, everybody. It was just, um, you know, it, it was just perfect for for its time. You know, it was. It really was lightning in a bottle. And I just, you can't. You just can't repeat that. You can't. Uh, there's been very few movies that have had that effect uh, over history, and so. Uh, Definitely, uh, I just I, again I, I can't recommend the Back to the Future movies enough. You know, go Must. go and uh, check them out. Yeah. You know, uh, it's you know it's available on Blu-ray, DVD, um, almost every. Str- I mean, just about, I, yeah, yeah, all of the streaming services. Uh, I, I don't think it's on Netflix, but it, it could, was. It, I know it, it was at one point. They was, may have taken yeah. it off by now, but uh, I hadn't um, seen it in a while. 
Um, and if you're interested in finding out more behind the scenes stuff, uh, I mean, there's documentaries. There's several documentaries, actually. I think. Oh gosh, yeah. And actually, there is uh, a new documentary coming out uh, about Michael J. Fox. Yes. Uh, it's a, an Apple TV exclusive coming out May 12th. That's called Still a Michael J. Fox Movie. And it's a doc- documentary all about uh, Michael J. Fox, Michael his J. life, Fox, but, uh, his struggle with Parkinson's disease. What and a so, phenomenal human being, yeah. honestly. I mean, even throughout uh, his Parkinson's diagnosis, he still maintained his sense of humor. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and managed to actually use that in some of his uh, acting roles since then and, and kind of played on that a little bit. And uh, just such a such a terrific guy. Would love to be able to, to meet him someday. And, you know, maybe I'll have that opportunity. But uh, but I'm really looking forward to seeing that uh, documentary. Mm-hmm. Can't wait uh, for that. So uh, but. We are just about uh, out of time for today. Yeah, we kind of we kind of went a little we long, ran a little there. bit long, but we knew we would. because yeah, this is because uh, this is one of our favorites. Yes, it is. Uh, it's like it's you really can't you know can't do it justice without without mm-hmm. really kind of diving into it. And I have to say, this is uh, probably like our one of our top favorites honestly so we were going to ramble on oh, any time that it's our top favorite. It's we're going to probably ramble a lot, but. Uh, but before we go, as always, we just want to remind everybody to subscribe, like, and share to our YouTube channel. And uh, when you do subscribe, uh, be sure to hit that little uh, bell icon so that you're getting all the notifications whenever any new episodes or videos are posted. Uh, you can also check us out on our socials. We're on all the major social media platforms. Uh, and uh, you can even reach out to us uh, via email uh, at Cox at gmail.com. That's our official podcast email. And those are ways that you can get in on the conversation, too. So if you like this episode, let us know. You know leave your comments and questions. Uh, let us know what you'd like to see in the future. Uh, let us know if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, because we're always looking for ways to improve and so, you know, we, uh, we look forward to that, that feedback, you know, we're good or bad, you know, let us know what you think. Uh, and also be sure to check out our Patreon page, which is a good way for you mm-hmm. all to support the podcast yes. by, uh, you know, contributing to that. And uh, there's that, some really good stuff on there. I'd check it out. Yeah. And uh, some, some exclusive things on there, too, some exclusive clips that you cannot find anywhere else. And so that's uh, reason enough to, to go on there and and uh, check it out and hopefully uh, take a look at some of the perks we're offering and maybe something jumps out at you and every little bit helps so you know whatever you're able to contribute will help us out uh, tremendously and you know we'll use that for things like production costs and just being able to you know put forth you know a a better quality uh, podcast but but uh, that's it for today Uh, join us next week as we go into the next film in the back to the future franchise which is of course back to the future part two yes to be continued we will see you then Uh, in the meantime uh, be good to yourselves and always remember that the future hasn't been written yet so make it a good one You dipstick.